We're live. Perfect. Welcome to another edition of the Illuminati Podcast, proudly presented by Irish Thirty One. Uh, guys, I, I got to tell you, Irish Thirty One's been clutch this year. Um, they, they've done some great events. Steve, you were at the Irish Thirty One. Irish 31 event uh, last weekend, uh, and we'll get your uh, reaction and takes from uh, from that event. You know, they're they're having bulls watch parties at all six uh, Irish 31 locations all season long. Wall to wall flat screens, LED walls with the, the game on sound up. Bulls themed drink specials. Uh, Magic 94.9 on site at, at select locations for the Bulls bonus watch parties with ticket giveaways, sponsor swag, and more. Uh, and, you know, if you snap a picture with Coach Scott. There's a cardboard cutout in every pub and share it with Instagram for a chance to win tickets to the next U.S. home game. Make sure you tag at Irish31Pub and hashtag Horns Up. The next one is uh, coming up uh, October 28th, uh, 730-930, Irish31 Seminole. Uh, it's at 7724 113th Street, Seminole, Florida, 33772. Steve, you were there. You uh you got to partake in the Irish 31 uh, USF Alumni Association Bulls Brew Fest. How was it, man? It was uh, it was actually a lot of fun. Uh, not to you know sound surprised or, or shocked or anything like that, but uh, it, it was really it was really a good time. Uh, very well put together. It wasn't like the most extravagant uh, extravagant event I've ever been to. Um, for those that were there, you know, it was kind of like basically in the corner of the parking lot uh, over in West Shore Plaza. But, you know, there was, I think there were six beer vendors that were there, plus a giant flat screen on top of a truck, like, and then a, and then a live DJ. And then, of course, you know, there was food inside the Irish 31, no more than like a 10-second walk over there to, you know, fill up on any food that you would uh, ever partake in at halftime or anything. But the beer was very good. I was expecting, you know, the, the typical beer vendors that you would see at, you know, every event. Um, but there was actually some uh, some great local beers there. Uh, they gave you 10 tickets. And these 10 tickets with your $10 donation were supposed to be like, like a, it was supposed to be like samplers. Um, boy, were they not samplers. They were full beers. <laughs> so basically, you spent 10 bucks, you got 10 free beers out of it. Um all of them really good. And then to make it even better, uh, Yingling was there and Yingling was giving out free like swag. They gave out free koozies, free headbands, wristbands, everything like that. And if you went after the game inside our 31 and kind of just hang out and do nothing, it was buy one, get one Yinglings on them. It couldn't have been better. I uh, needless to say, you know, I got a little toasty. <laughs> Who amongst us? Who amongst us? Um, yeah, amongst amongst us, time. great, great, great amount of alumni there too. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad it was a, a successful event for for them, for the alumni association, and uh, for our beautiful partners at Irish 31. I'm, I'm glad they had a good event, and uh, you know, the next one's coming up soon. And you know, we, we've got a watch party of our own coming up here, so um, be on the lookout for for some uh, for some news on that. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, weird things tend to happen at our watch at our watch parties. Uh, so <laughs> let's uh, let's hopefully keep uh, keep the the tradition alive uh, and and have some fun there. Um, but uh, uh, Seth, uh, there's been a growing uh, groundswell, a fervor, some would say. Um, to I have no uh, idea what either of those words mean. Can you <laughs> can you dumb it down, please? <laughs> There's some very, uh, there's a lot of people hashtag mad online through the first five games, uh, and and Seth, we 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 predicted this would happen. Yeah, we literally predicted it would happen. Yeah, and God bless those USF fans on Twitter and, and Facebook and everywhere else. They didn't disappoint. But uh, Seth, what? If there was a, a pitcher, maybe maybe just a pitcher, that could represent, um, you know, uh, what our friends uh, should should really be doing right now. What what could that be? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
There's a, a picture or a picture? A picture. A a picked a picture. A pictograph. Something maybe I sent you earlier. A oh. photograph? A maybe picture? a photograph. I didn't know where I I think it probably means something like this. Yes. Frankie says relax. Guys. Relax. Hear me. R E L A X. Relax. You've played five games. Four of them are against top 25 teams. You did exactly what was expected of you. You weren't expected to win any of these games. You were 15 or more point underdogs, and I think you were 20-point underdogs in all four games you lost. There is a reason for this. We have talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. This team is not good enough yet to pull off those kind of upsets. But what we are looking for right now is progress. And that is what we're seeing. Maybe not on the defensive side of the ball. And I get you. It's frustrating. I I get all the questions. Why are they playing off? Why are they playing off? Why are they playing off? Well, if you look at the Florida and the BYU game, you saw why they were playing off last week. They were getting burned. The week before, everyone was saying, why are we playing main coverage? Why are we playing main coverage? Why are we playing main coverage? So there's not really when you're playing good offenses and you're not great on that on the defensive side of the ball, just because I think you're playing a lot of younger guys that don't have a lot of experience and and they knew this was gonna be a problem and went out and addressed it and then all those guys got hurt. So they're kind of back to where they you know, where they started, where they knew they had a problem in the back end. So when you get to that point, there's no real good answers. You gotta try to play a couple of different ways and just try to mix it up and confuse people. But, you know, two weeks ago is why we USF should never play man coverage again. Then last week it's, well, why are we so far off? You know, you gotta, you can't, you can't, you can't say both, right? It's just, it's, you're in, you're in tough spots when you're playing good offenses. Hopefully this open week will get them healthy and then they'll start kind of playing better on defense from there. But I think health is probably the biggest issue on that side of the ball. A hundred percent. And I, I get the frustration, like the results aside, right? I get the frustration. I mean, we talked about that fourth and five point uh, up and down, right? We, we, we talked about it. It was a bad decision at the time. Uh, You know, Jeff Scott said in the post game press conference, he trusted uh, Andrew Stokes to do his job in the three. And he said, uh, you know, or what three, I think or four or something like that. Uh, And he said, you know, if I had, if I had the knowledge that they were going to you know, go down, drive, and score the ball, maybe I would have gone for it, but I didn't know that. And I, I get that that's his answer, and I get it's frustrating because it's still it's still a terrible decision regardless if they score or not. Like, But that's what we said that his answer would be at halftime, too. When we talked about I it at mean, halftime, we're like, he's going to say, I had to give my defense yeah. a chance. But, but we also said, you know, at some point you got to be realistic with yourself and say, well, they haven't stopped anybody in a while. So let's go ahead and take that chance with our offense. Who's getting better and starting to perform pretty well against a variety of defenses. Let's take the chance with them, put the game maybe in the hands of our better, you know, unit instead of relying on a defense that is down a bunch of guys. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you're trying to project confidence to your team. Guys, I believe in you, but at a certain point you just got to be like, Hey guys, your guy, you're not quite ready yet. We're going to rely on the offense. And that's something you can – I think your team will still feel that you have confidence in them if you tell them going into the game, hey, if we get these fourth downs, we're going for it. Like I'm sure Ole Miss, with, you saw the fourth downs they went for against Alabama, but I'm sure they told their players, hey, if we're going to fourth and short, we're going for it. I don't care where we are on the field, right? Offensively, that gives you some confidence. Defensively, you know what's you know what kind of the situation you might be in. When you get when you get out on the field, it's not a surprise, right? So maybe that's something going forward. They'll they'll, they'll kind of establish, hey, we're going to take more risk on offense because they're playing better. But yeah, you, you, obviously you, you you think our defense can hold them, but they haven't really done. They haven't showed that all year, so you got to be a little more realistic, I think, um, 
when looking at the situation, but it's just really he's trying to project confidence to his team. Absolutely. And uh, I think there's no better person to uh, give the USF nation a, a, a dose of reality and, a, and frankly, a dose of hope. Uh, head coach, women's basketball head coach, Jose Fernandez. Uh, he's great to follow. Uh, when he gets on that porch, uh, he's uh, he's something to behold. But the, I'm just going to read these tweets, and, and we'll 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 go from there, and we'll we'll continue this conversation because I think it's something that a lot of USF fans need to hear because it, it's it's gotten a little too far on the other end. Uh, Bulls Nation, this is uh, 7:01 p.m. on Saturday. Bulls Nation, four and 24, 14 and 13, seven and 20. My first three seasons. And then NIT, NIT, NCAA tournament the next three seasons. Patience. Relax. Look at us now. Success doesn't happen overnight. It takes recruiting, player development, and changing the culture. Support these student athletes and coaches. Jose I mean, says relax. Jose, Jose says relax. And that's what needs to happen. And quite frankly, USF football is in better shape than women's basketball was uh, at this point because women's basketball's best, you know, football's best player wasn't suing the school for misconduct like like uh, women's basketball was when Jose took over. So we've got that going for us. All right. I mean, my goodness, it's uh, it, it it's gotten it's gotten to be a bridge too far. Um, and, and you know he had a he had a great rebuttal to someone who said I get it, coach, but the basketball team wasn't number two in the nation with multiple next level players. We've waited, we've been patient, we've watched coach after coach struggle, each one telling us to be patient. And then Jose's response is, uh, "Hang it in the Louvre. It's so good." That's the problem. It was 2007, and everyone lost in the polls that pushed us to number two, which don't matter. Finished nine and four, lost three straight. Be realistic. And. <laughs> Uh, Willie Taggart said the same thing, uh, about this, uh, 2007 being ranked number two for five days was the worst thing that ever happened to USF football. And quite frankly, he's not wrong. Uh, the, the outsized expectations for the program, uh, only grew from there and it took a series of unfortunate events for USF to get to number two. I think nine teams that were at number two or something insane. I, I know it was uh, over five, five teams who were ranked second lost that year. And USF was one of them. I mean, uh, what Boston, Boston college was ranked second. And they got beat by Florida state. Um, it just, I think Cal was number two at one point. I mean, it was, it was an insane year and we can't take 2007 to be the gospel for what USF football can be. And quite, they're not in the same conference. The, the landscape of college football has changed. We know where we're at. The The news that came out, what, a little over, a little less than a month ago tells us that. And, I mean, you, you're seeing what's happening in, in, in just across the country with these rebuilds, what started last year in the middle of a pandemic year. And to pull the trigger, I, there's – People calling for him, calling for Coach Scott to be fired, is lunacy. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think people realize how much more difficult it is now to rebuild fast because of the early signing period. Um, I know uh, Bud Elliott. I bring him up every now, but he's really good on recruiting. He did some type of study about, I think, the twenty eighteen class because that was a big year and co new coach hires taggart at fsu mullen at florida chip kelly at ucla and like florida and florida state it was like something like 80 percent of their class wasn't still on campus because that first early signing period it's so hard to and with that now being a thing every year it's so hard to come in with maybe like jeff scott had what did he have like three weeks like two weeks or something before the early signing period when he got hired yeah, what, December 10th, and then I think a week and a half later. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, I think they ended up doing a pretty decent job, but we remember what their what were their class rankings were, like 114th or 111th or something like that. Right. right? He, he salvaged it. It wasn't like 
it wasn't a great class by any stretch of the imagination. No, they got some good players out of yeah. it, but it's just hard. That's a hard with the early signing period. You really need to give extra time now. Uh, I think they're trying to make up for it in the transfer portal, but they've just had a rash of injuries. So you're kind of seeing that be an issue. But anybody that's talking about firing and things like that, it's just you put yourself in a perpetual cycle if you're doing that with the early signing period. You're just going to put yourself in a perpetual cycle of not being able to have strong recruiting classes and your talent level is just going to diminish if you just keep recycling coaches every two years, every three years. And then you're, you're basically, you know, going to just set yourself in this cycle of mediocrity. So you have to stick with a guy. I think you have the right guy. Time will tell. But I, from what I see, from what recruiting is doing, I mean, look at the jump they made last year in recruiting. Just a huge jump. The team talent level has gone up since he's gotten here. I think the quality of um, – or the type of the player, like the explosive player, they've, they've got more of those on offense. They, they've probably got their quarterback for the next four years, it looks like. I mean, they're, they're doing some good things. They just haven't quite figured out, you know, the defensive side of the ball has been a little slower to come on, but they've also played some pretty good offenses in the first five games. So that's probably part of it too. I'm really interested to see where this conversation will be a month from now. Now, absolutely. We might be saying, oh, my gosh, they're doing great. They stayed the course. It'll be the same people talking about how great they're doing, how awesome McLean is, and how the defense looks so much better now for some reason. They must have really used that bye week to really watch film. No, they probably got guys healthy. So, But I, I'm, this will be an interesting conversation to have again in a month. Yeah, absolutely. And and you, you talk about the attrition of that, you know, with the new, the early signing period and the attrition that first-year coaches uh, have, you know, just from that first class. Charlie Strong's first class, of the 25 signees, five are still on the roster. Five. And then if throw in a Bryce Miller and, and uh, Andrew Mims uh, as walk-ons, and that's, that's the contributors that you have from – uh, your 2017 recruiting class, which would now technically be seniors, right? Right. So, so now you want to pull the you want to pull the the parachute. You want to you want to pull the ripcord on this and start over again? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, so you've got that class coupled with a class that had to be put together really quickly because of a coach being hired so close to this or the signing period. That's a recipe for some struggles, right? When you don't have that veteran leadership, you've got a lot of young, you got a young team and you had to put it together very fast. You're going to see some struggles. Let's just, I mean, I think we, we need to be realistic and looking at that. The recruiting got better last year, but those guys are all freshmen. So there's going to be struggles here. Absolutely. And it, like, I think with us, right, I think we may uh, – I don't want to put our – I don't know how to say this. I don't want to say that we have more influence than, that we, than we do, but I do think we do have a hand in some of this. I'll be perfectly frank in, in, in that portion. Um, but I think when we're all saying that this is – it's this is still going to be fine, even though we're one in four. Uh, like we we know, Seth, you and I, we we watch the film, we talk about what's going to happen, and then it freaking happens in the game every single GD week, right? We are we are dead on. Like to to quote my cousin Vinny, we are dead on balls accurate with this shit. Like we are so in tune with what's going on with this program this season. It's an industry term. Look it up. All right. <laughs> We are so in tune, and we're not freaking out yet. The rest of the fan base is freaking out, and I get we have the reputation as the hate block, and I get it. I I really get it because we don't really we don't take crap from the administration from from the main campus to athletics. We we will not stand for having you know people piss on us and tell us it's raining. Like I I get it, and I get that we have the reputation of being negative. But the only reason that we have the reputation for being negative is because we called out Charlie Strong's tenure as it was happening and we knew it wasn't going to work. And then guess what? It didn't fucking work. All right. So give, 
coach got a chance, and I get it. His in-game management frustrates the shit out of me as well. I get it. He will eventually get it. He will He will hire someone. He will figure it out. But when Paul Feinbaum goes on ESPN, on, on the SEC network, and says, you know, I get it. He, he's an SEC-leaning guy, right? But when he says, man, Clemson's not right since Jeff Scott left, and you want to fire this guy? Are you kidding me? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? I yeah. I, I I I it feels like I'm like on a radio show right now and I'm just like venting, but like what <laughs> that what the hell are we doing here that this is what what the the result is? I get we're in a we're in a, a show me now I don't care about later age. I, I get it, man. I, I'm I'm part of that gener part of that generation. I'm at the tail end of that generation of the we want it now mentality. Dear God, give a man time to to get out of the hole that Charlie Strong left USF in. And then I think Eric makes a good point. The staff, the staff around him is really young too. Um, it, that that's helps with some of the clock management, some of that type of stuff. Sometimes it helps to have a an older guy that you know, like last year when we were talking about the timeouts before the two point conversion, and you know, you know that kind of stuff. You know, sometimes you have a guy up in the box that's your spotter that's kind of telling you what looks you're getting and, and that kind of stuff. And sometimes those guys make mistakes too, especially if they're on the younger end and they're kind of just new into coaching. So that could be part of it too. It's a young group. I think it's a really talented group though, just in the coaching staff and on the and on the in terms of the players. So you're just gonna have to watch them grow. One thing I don't think, and this is why I'm always pretty generally, I try to be pretty positive generally, is I, I don't think, I would say, and I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, Mr., you know, you don't know what you're talking about, guy to people, but if you've never been in there and, like, really understand how hard it is to win a game, just a single game, how difficult it is to win, how difficult it is to do consistently, how hard it is, you know, the same that you, you really, it, I've been on, I've been on staffs where we've won a ton of games, like historic levels at the school. I've been on staffs. Where we've been really bad. The effort level from me was the exact same. The effort level from the players was the exact same. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's talent, right? The talent level, but it's not like these guys aren't trying. There's no such thing as a will to win. Guys, you go. You guys can try, but at the end of the day, you can't just will yourself to victory. You've got to be have some luck. You've got to have the talent. You've got to have a confluence of events. It's not just oh, they need to try harder. They need to, it's, it's this. This is very hard to win games at the college level. That's not an easy thing. Every team, because every team has got guys on scholarship. Every team has coaches getting paid a lot of money. These guys are the best of the best of what they do. It's not easy. I think this staff is going in the right direction. There's some units that are lagging behind a little bit, but I think Jeff Scott is not a dumb guy. He's pretty smart. He'll recognize that. He'll make the necessary fixes, um, and they'll get the right players in here. They've showed that. They're not afraid to go out into the transfer portal and grab guys. They're not afraid to go out and 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 play young guys. If a young guy comes in and he's ready to play, they'll play him. Timmy McLean was in the high school last year. Now he's your starting quarterback on the road to BYU. Not afraid to do that, right? Not afraid to go out in the portal and get guys to come in and play immediately. So I, I think they'll fix it. You just got to give them some time. And I want to make one point because it's it's kind of gotten talked about, and I know everyone likes to point to the recruiting rankings. And, God, it's October, and we're talking about recruiting rankings, uh, which is always super healthy. That's like the people that look at draft order uh, – three weeks into the season that I do every single year as a Jacks fan. But right now with where the recruiting rankings are at, you have four commits. You have two quarterbacks and two wide receivers. And a lot of the people are, I saw almost five or six replies from Jose's tweet talking about, he's talking about the recruiting and getting the guys in there and everything like that. But we're sitting at the, the worst recruiting class in the conference for this year so far. And you know, I think it's in like the hundreds or something like that with four guys committed and, you know, not a lot of interest out there and everything like that. But the thing that frustrates me the most about that is people want instant gratification of recruiting, not realizing that a lot of these freshmen that are being recruited and were recruited last year 
aren't going to see playing time their freshman year. You're not going to get a guy like a, an offensive lineman that's going to come in and contribute right away from high school to, to freshman year or a defensive back. Defensive back especially, you are not going to see a lot of true freshmen making starts back there because physically they don't match up against senior wide receivers, and it's the most glaring position and most polarizing position for a high school senior to make that transition. And the staff knows that. And so when you look and you see, oh, only four guys committed and, you know, two of them are quarterbacks, two of them are receivers, that's because we have depth there and we can afford to say, all right, let's bring Cade Roberts and, and Javon Thomas in from, you know, the Bay Area, have those guys sit behind Xavier Weaver and Latrell Williams and the rest of them and, and have them learn same thing that you're going to do with Byron Brown and, and Gunnar Smith. And you can do that on offense because you have the depth there to do so. You don't have that on defense right now and especially along that defensive line and offensive line right now. So evidently what we're going to see is a really big push to the transfer portal. We already have about four or five defensive linemen that are being reached out to in the transfer portal that I'm hearing good things about that. They're wanting to come to USF because we have six guys leaving next year. So, you know, don't take any stock into recruiting rankings right now, especially verbal commits. Because if you fill up with verbal commits now, I promise there will be no progress made next year. Not even, not even a little bit. A hundred percent, man. And, and I, I don't think people are grasping the impact of the transfer portal now. Like with that free COVID year, with I mean, with every everything that the transfer portal now represents. USF has to keep their options open. And now I know that the work, the NCAA working committee is, is going to be, I think they're gearing toward it. Or if they, if they haven't already passed that they're going to extend it to bring in, you know, seven new people, depending on how many people you lost. Um, that's going to be a huge benefit for USF to, to up those numbers. Right. And, and those numbers can be used for, for transfers. And that's where USF's going to hit, the best they're going to hit the the defensive line in the secondary again in the transfer portal all right and and i feel like they hit i think they had found will jones and he was going to be the starter and then an unfortunate injury happened and now you're you're pressing in a guy who had never played safety before as your starting safety in matt hill and god bless him he's trying the the hardest He's just got it, no experience. He doesn't it, have a ton it, of experience, right? I mean, he, he said before that if you watch, um, they spoke with him after the North Carolina State game, and he basically all but said, "Yeah, I was going to be the backup." He got hurt, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I got to play! I'm starting now!" Like it, it was, um, I, he's he hadn't played the position a lot, and he was going to be the backup and learn and slowly work his way into it, and 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 then injuries happen, and, and then all the guys you had transfer in at <laughs> defensive back get injured. And you're right back where you started. So, and I have Josh walk on Josh Green starting against SMU's defense, or ex, excuse me, SMU's offense, having to cover Reggie Rice, and Reggie Robertson, and who may have who may have like four pro skill players, right? Depending on how those guys run and stuff, like the combine and things like that, may have four guys that are pros in, in, in the receiving group if you include the tight end. So, and maybe a pro quarterback too. So. Not the easiest group to be down for defensive backs against. And then uh, uh, Jalen Herring was also out, uh, a guy who uh, came in because T.J. Robinson got hurt last week or two weeks ago, I guess, at this point. I mean, and I, I, get, I mean, and I want to be clear. I get the frustration with the defense because we'll, we'll harp on it until the cows come home. They're not getting pressure. They're not creating havoc. They're, they're not sacking the quarterback. And I, I get it, man. Because and that position where there there is depth there, there's a lot of seniors on in on the across that line, and they're still not getting pressure. And I get it; it's frustrating, but it just puts a giant spotlight on the secondary when they're not getting pressure. Well, it's it kind of they all work right. It all works together, right? So if I've got a young secondary that that I'm that's got a lot of doesn't have a lot of experience. I'm probably not going to blitz a ton because I don't want to put them in man coverage situations, right? So if I'm not blitzing, I'm only rushing three. I'm probably not going to get a lot of pressure, right? 
I mean, sometimes you can, but usually that's like the the best defensive lines in the country will rush three and four and get pressure. But other than that, nobody gets a ton of pressure with three. So now you don't get – so now well, how can we ratchet up the pressure? All right, well, let's play more man coverage. All right, well, Florida hit some bombs over the top on you, right? BYU hit some shots over the top, even though that was kind of zone where they, they played the safeties for run. It wasn't necessarily man coverage per se, but right. So it's kind of all working together. So, you know, the the other thing I think we that everyone needs to remember about the line of scrimmage is like literally everybody's looking for those guys in the transfer portal. Florida brought in three. Florida brought in one the Monday of the first game of the season, and he played that Saturday. So literally everybody's looking for defensive linemen. So I'm sure they tried to get him in the portal. But everybody in the state was looking for him. So you you may have a guy in the past like Daquan Newkirk who started at Florida now was at Auburn. Maybe in the past Florida's all booked up. He comes so he's I want to play closer at home. All right, USF, I can go right in and play. Maybe he goes there. Well, Florida was looking for guys. FSU was looking for guys. Miami was looking for guys. So it was kind of a tough year to be in the portal for defensive linemen, I think. I don't I wouldn't think it was a lack of effort. I think we just there was a lot of options in the state for those guys that wanted to come back home. So I think that made it a little bit tough where you couldn't quite upgrade there and you're kind of stuck with what you had last year. And, and those guys are playing hard and they're better. I think it's better than it was last year. They're getting pressure. At least it's not always uh, in the stats, but they're getting pressure in the quarterbacks. They're, they're winning some battles up front. It's just, it's just not, um, it's not really their strong suit is, is getting the pressure. They're kind of hoping that they can hold up bodies and let the linebackers come make plays. And it hasn't worked too well this year, but I think that I think yeah. you'll see improvement as they go on. And they got and, and, Jersey dirty on uh, on Saturday, to their credit. I right. I I think they counted it as an interception kind of strip sack situation there. For a three-man rush, I I will take a small victory in a microcosm of the game like that, where they were able to get the pressure on against one of the best offensive lines in the in the country. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll take was a win. Tremel like that. Logan, who everyone was like, this guy's two hundred and twenty pounds or whatever. How's he the starting defensive end? Well, he he's he's like a pass rusher, right? He's really good off the edge. Made a great move. Got knocked the ball and, out, and boys made a great catch. And to Eric's point, I mean. You gotta remember this is this isn't the pros. If your if your if your defensive lineman sucks, you can't cut them. I mean, you guy you had guys, and I'm sure they all came to coach's office, and I'm sure I'm sure Coach Scott had meetings with all the players, saying like, "Hey, if you wanna if you wanna transfer, like you know, we'll help you out and everything like that." You can't really tell guys to leave. At college, like you can't get a bad manga. It's not a good precedent. It's not a good precedent to set. But you can't. No. They they like, do yeah, they, they, they process guys at Alabama pretty frequently. I mean, to I mean, to be fair, they process some wide receivers out of that out of the room uh, this off season uh, because they knew they had the depth, and that's fine because they needed the rosters. They needed the roster spots. Yeah, uh, I did like. I know Eric. I know Eric's on the Eric's on the four man line train. I did like that look. I, I think that I think right now defensively, you just got to keep changing stuff up. Give different looks to teams. Yeah, yeah. What are your plans next year? Keep giving different looks to teams, and then you know, see, you know, maybe you find something. Um, but you know, the portal is also going to affect the going back to the recruiting talk about, you know, kind of where they're at right now. The portal is also that free transfer, you know, from in in the portal is also going to push a lot of high school guys back. I think to the second side, the guys that are not the cream of the crop top of the line, that kind of next level down where, you know, you're, Mid four star, three star guys. I think you'll probably, you may see more of them sign in the in the in the normal signing period because a lot of schools are going to be holding spots open for for transfers for college guys to try to get them in January. So you may not see a lot of you may see the high real high level guys use the early signing day, but you may not you may see a lot of guys wait till the traditional one, and so maybe that's kind of what's happening with some of these guys in high school with USF. Maybe they're kind of all waiting each other out to see what happens after this early signing period with the transfers. So, 
something to watch for. Yeah, and and you know to take a positive uh, away from the, the SMU game uh, defensively at least. Um, you you mentioned Tramal Logan kind of creating the pressure, creating the the interception. I think it was a, a strip sack um, for for county purposes, uh, but. They had six tackles for loss, which was nearly half of what they had had through the first three games. So against an offensive line who gets a, a lot of good push and against an offensive line who hasn't given up a sack, that's a step in the right direction, right? And and that's where you want to you want to see some progress. And you're you're not going to be going up against the, these kind of offensive lines like these four offensive lines that USF has faced are talented beyond belief and the only one better possibly is cincinnati and that is it and literally that is it now you now you're getting uh i just had the the schedule pulled up uh so coming off of the bye here are the next four games okay you're getting tulsa at home you're getting temple at home you go to ecu on a thursday night and then you're home for houston which is homecoming for the bulls I mean, the the back half of the schedule sets up nicely, and now that Black Friday game looks kind of winnable. I'm not saying they'll win it, but it's it's the the, the odds have raised from one percent to like seventeen percent, and it can only I, I feel like it can only get higher from there. I think uh, Central Florida's got a lot of stuff to work out. They're they're still breaking in a new quarterback after the Dylan Gabriel injury. I get that, but when you lose to Navy. Everything comes into question, especially this version of Navy. Now, 2016, 2017. points, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was 35, 28 or something like 35. Like they uh, were 34, 30, I think. 34, so a Navy 30. offense that have gotten their offensive coordinator fired. They gained 67 yards on Air Force for reference. Are you telling me that Big Cat Bryant didn't play well against Navy? Man, maybe not. You, you, you telling me that those defensive backs that got torched uh, by BYU were actually that good and maybe, you know, giving them preseason number two ranking in the conference was a little overzealous just because Gus Malzahn likes to say a bunch of buzzwords in press conferences like a used car salesman? We shall see. Is that what but, but all I know is that uh, Air, the mighty Air Force defense only gave up 67 yards to Navy's offense. So do with that what you may. Do that what you will. And uh, Tulane needs to start figuring it out here soon. Uh, my preseason number four team in the conference is also one and four, just like the Bulls. And uh, they've they're they're backsliding a little bit. Um, so they've got to figure it out. So the back half of this schedule outside of Cincinnati is a lot more appetizing than the first five games, and that's what we need to to. Keep in focus here. And one and four one and four record sucks, right? Not having won an FBS game since October, I think it was 26, 2019, if I'm not mistaken. It was our last watch party uh versus uh ECU at ECU. Like I get it. But you have to if you don't see that the progress the team's making, then you just don't want to see it and you want to be negative. You want you want to fire someone because you want to fire someone and it's the cool thing to do. And it's what you wish you could do. Like this is, this is like Madden level where you just, you're the, you're, you're the owner of the team and you fire people just because, and then you realize, Oh crap, I don't have enough salary uh, cap left to, to get a good coach. And now I'm stuck with this. And that's what would happen. You're, you're hand streaming, you're hand hamstringing your, entire athletic department because you want to fire a guy because you haven't fired someone in six months like like get over it he's gonna be here he's gonna make this work i i can't fathom the progress this team's made while also having this outside kind of thing uh, around where uh, clemson is not nearly as good as they have been and it's be there. Jeff's the, the offense. I get that they're breaking a new quarterback, but it's still a really talented quarterback. They still have talent there, but it, they have a lot of something missing. There's and, a lot of really highly rated receivers that all of a sudden aren't getting as open anymore. 
there might be something to a receivers coach being gone. Yes. So here's the other part of it. Even if Jeff Scott was the worst coach in the world, do you have money to pay him to fire him? No. <laughs> what are we talking about? It, it took it took a lot of like a lot of work for USF to come up with the funds to be able to fire Charlie Strong. Colin's and now you're going to do because of it. Yeah, Collins out in Vegas pimping himself out to try to make up the money he had to give up. I think I think uh, I think this is true from Alex, but there there seem to be the loudest, and that's typically how it goes, right? Because everyone quote retweets them and saying like, "Oh my god, this is the worst fucking." Because it's, it's so like, it's, it's sorry. a lot. It's a lot easier to be negative, because like I said, winning is hard. So if I'm just the guy that's always negative, I'm gonna be right a lot. Because more often you're you're gonna you're you know you're not gonna win every game. So if I'm Mister Negative all the time, when they lose, I can just bask in it. And when they win, everyone's happy, so nobody cares, right? So it's easy to be negative. It's harder, I think, but more fun to try to see where the positives are, where the progress is being made, look at it with some nuance and see how, you know, are the guys still playing hard? Yeah, they're still playing hard, right? Like what else do you want from, from guys representing your university? If they play as hard as they can, every play wearing your school's logo, what else can you ask for? Right? So I, you know, I think being positive is the way to go. Let's see the progress. And I think you're going to really see it in the next few weeks. Um, hopefully they take advantage of this kind of shift in, in schedule difficulty and, and really can come out and show, you know, the more of their, the true sense of the team here. So one thing before I think we're going to transition to the offense and discussion on that. Um, I really love to see that, uh, well, USF men's basketball yesterday, but uh, the football team was out for Habitat for Humanity helping build houses uh, and restore a little bit of a neighborhood there in the middle of their bye week. You know, I think that's the, the one thing that I, I don't think is getting talked about enough is the culture that Jeff Scott has already instilled, you know, now that he's been able to have better contact with the players and not just, you know, talking to them over zoom. I mean, not to jinx it and knock on wood, but we don't have any guys in the transfer portal yet. You know the the only actually the only guy that entered the transfer portal was uh was was Camp Gobbler <laughs> before the season, and then uh, Xander Yarborough um, I think hung up the cleats to to move back home. So realistically, you you didn't lose any guys that you had like this full buy-in from yet, and you're instilling a really positive culture around the team. And I, I've heard it from you know guys within the team that it, it is night and day culture wise and positivity wise and the care that the coaching staff has, you know, it, it's, they, they talked about it all during preseason. I know it, it kind of got lost after, you know, we started losing some games, but I mean, the, the team looks different on the field and their, their mannerisms and their, their body language and everything like that. Like, you know, it, it doesn't feel like the same team that we were watching just bungle away that temple game in 2018. You know, it just, it doesn't feel like, you're looking at the same group of people, even though some, there is a good amount of overlap there. Yeah. Uh, I, as Alex said, it's a, a great point there, Steve. I mean, it's it, building a culture takes time. And I think we're seeing uh, this team respond. I think we're, we're seeing the, the, the starts of this team responding. I mean, that was one of the questions we had early in the season uh, prior to the season starting, you know, uh, this Kumbaya stuff's great, but get punched in the mouth and then, then come talk to me and they've done a, a better job um, kind of rallying um, back than I think we would have seen, you know, over the last two, two and a half years. Right. I mean, Seth, that's, that's what we talked about in the preseason, uh, you know, for, for a good chunk of that preseason, what are they going to do when they get punched in the face? And uh, we may not see it in, in the game, but what do they do the next week? And I feel like we've gotten a pretty good response from them. Yeah, we, we yeah, we, we kind of switched, you know, after the first game, it was, you know, not only how do they respond in this game, but how do they respond to this early stretch of the season, right? Because you knew this early stretch was going to be tough. You knew they were going to take their lumps. Are they going to just lay down, you know, and not that they laid down 
last year against Notre Dame, but that was a total beatdown, right? But they, I, I think they responded like Stan Marsh here. I didn't hear no bell. Do you want to go? Kept, they kept fighting. You know, I thought this was America. They kept fighting. They and now I think they're to the part of the schedule where they can really come on and, and win some games here. And they've gotten good experience for a lot of young guys, which you didn't quite anticipate coming in, having to play as many young guys as they have. But they've responded well to the first couple games especially. I think it started with that response to the second quarter against Florida, where Florida just laid on a bunch of points really quickly. You could have just laid down and died, but they came back and and scored in the second half. Um, Three touchdowns, right? 20 points, right? Um, Yep. And then – it's kind of same thing. Played well against FAMU. Played uh, pretty well against BYU. Then I thought they started off pretty well against SMU on offense. Didn't always turn it into points, but they played well. So I think after this open week, you'll really get a sense of what this team's going to be this year. Yeah. I mean, early on against SMU, it wasn't SMU stopping USF's offense. It was USF stopping USF's offense. Yeah. All right, a couple, um, you know, Timmy running short of the, the first down marker and, uh, you know, getting stuffed on third down, and then he got a punt. It's Timmy missing Xavier Weaver for a wide-open touchdown three times. I mean, it's that – those things will will shift, right? It's The, the plays are there to be made. They're just not there yet. And the plays will still still continue to be made because this team is, continue, is going to continue to get better. So. Uh, that's what we want to, you know, keep keep you guys in mind. And and I, I think if I want to draw comparisons a, a little bit, um, th- that 2015 season w- w- when things started to click, uh, USF was kind of buoyed by a really talented defense. And Tom Allen had that thing humming, and we're just not quite there yet. So we may not see the the, the, the automatic shift like how we saw it in 2015 like we're not going to get it like that what thursday or friday night temple performance uh where, where they just kind of run through everyone right but you're you're going to start to see bits and pieces of it we've started to see it um i think this bye week couldn't have come at a better time to you know just really press the reset button get back to you know what they do well give give timmy to another two weeks of first team reps get some guys healthy Get him familiar with the offensive line. Uh, you know, as Eric mentioned, the, the, the turnover at right guard. I think Dustin Hall is going to be your your future right guard going forward. I think he's earned that, um, and just more continuity with the wide receivers. Getting those first team reps, continuing to improve. I think that's what you're going to see. I think, I think we saw flashes of, of Jimmy Horn uh, last week. You know, what five catches, 102 yards. He caught all five targets. I think that uh, just for any of the freshmen that have been playing or the young guys who've been playing, uh, this bye week is going to come at a perfect time because now you have two weeks to kind of review the film, get better. I uh, hope to God they're still doing live tackling uh, during <laughs> during practices because that's still uh, a glaring issue. Uh, Those walk-ons you, are taking a beating during this bye week. Yeah, I, I feel terrible for the scout team. Uh, but, you know, it's for the greater good. Uh, you know, so I, I get it. Hopefully, you know, the, the, the players who've got some NIL money will, uh, you know, buy them a nice dinner or something for, for taking this beating, but it's, that's, uh, and, and Jeff Scott, to your point, Jeff Scott even said as much, cause we, we've kind of been all, we'd seen the flashes from Jimmy Horn and we're like, why is he playing a little bit more? You know, why is, why is he splitting time so much? And, and I think it was, it may have been right after the game, Jeff Scott said, he's, you know, he's glad to see him get going. He still kind of was learning the offense. He was still kind of getting the flow of the offense a little bit. So the bye week, like you said, comes at a great time for him. Get him up to speed and, and unleash him because he's – you put him out there with some of the other guys you have a receiver, and now you could become really hard to defend across the board there. So I think you will see some guys maybe play more, especially young guys, after this open week because you can kind of take time and – and kind of go back through your base stuff with them and not have to be preparing for a specific opponent. So I think that that's another thing to watch coming out of the bye is more young guys playing. Exactly. Uh, I'm excited for it. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we're going to do the film room uh, tomorrow. We're going to, we're going to chop up the, the good, the bad, the, the in between, and we'll touch on that. But I, I really wanted 
tonight, uh, this podcast to kind of, you know, it's the bye week. Let's hard reset on the the expectations of this team. Uh, I, I don't know what fans were were expecting uh, coming off of a what a one in nine, one in eight year, coming off of a four and eight year the year before, coming off a, a six game losing streak uh, the previous year to end the year. Like I don't know what the fans were expecting, but I want to be sure that we are in a better spot now than we were Black Friday 2018 when it was it was brutal. And it was uh, it was not a fun game to be at. And then 2019, I had that post game, uh, you know, Facebook Live, and I'm walking around the field, and I threw my hands up in the air. I'm like, I don't see where this gets better. And, and we're starting to see us getting out of the mud here. Um, and again, it's still, you know, year two. You know, technically, it's year two. And I like it's year two, but the outside factors of what happened in 2020, you can't just throw that away. And I I think uh, there are people out there who are just throwing away what they had to go through last year and just chalking up. Well, you know, they still play the games. They need to get better. They barely, they barely got through that season. They're practicing with like 50 to 60 guys. Sometimes, I mean, they were, they were traveling, uh, like walk-ons that you would never see in a game. They were playing walk-ons that you should never even see in a game. Even when it's senior night and you're up 70 points, there's just not enough time to get that person in the game, except they were playing last year. Starting in some cases. S- starting in some cases. Shout out Cody Gentry. Oh, I mean, so I, I just wanted to, to really hard reset on, on the, the expectations of – uh, of everything, I mean, this is the the one of the toughest five game stretches in the country, if not the hardest five game stretch in the country. And you throw out the FAMU game; no one has played four top twenty five teams this season, and it come away unscathed. Like it just it doesn't happen. Yeah, and then, and two and and how many of those games were at home? One, one. Yeah. It's hard to go on the road and beat good teams. I mean, we saw uh, we saw the old Florida Gators top ten team go into unranked Kentucky and lose this week. Going on the road is tough. Ask Arkansas; <laughs> they just got waxed this weekend. Uh, the 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 thing I want to I don't know if we're getting towards the end here. I think so, probably. But what did we all say? Just to recontextualize, everybody, what did we all say before the season? Was the ceiling the sky high would be a great year? Four wins. Four wins. I think four wins are still very much on the table, right? Like it's very much on the table. I think you feel now maybe you can push it even further without some of the other teams in the conference. The conference seems just so jumbled after the top teams, right? But whatever. If they win three games. We all said four wins would be a great season when we saw the schedule and the, what the team was going to be like in terms of youth and experience before the season. Four wins was going to be great. They still might hit four wins. Like, I think we're getting real worked up, but they still might hit what we thought was the ceiling and maybe go through it. I mean, Steve, I think you were probably the most optimistic, and, and you were you you said five, or what? I what think I your... said, I think I said either five or six, and that's. I'd hate I did you know throw me under the bus all you want. I six wins is still possible here. It, it's very much in play with how inconsistent ECU has been, with how inconsistent Houston has been, with how inconsistent the rest of the teams in our schedule have been. I mean, it doesn't take much more than a little bit of coherence in the yeah, obviously a little bit of a lack of schedule. You're not playing top 25 teams week in and week out and undefeated teams week in and week out. You know, I, I six wins is still in play. You know, USF, I, I don't recall, and Nate would probably be able to know this off the top of the head quicker than I can, but I don't recall the last time the USF has upset a team they weren't favored by or in a, in a game they weren't favored. Hmm. It's, um, it's been a while. Probably that BYU game in 2019, if we're being honest. Yeah. 
and so you'd almost say like in of course there's no due diligences and there's no you know o's and uh in in football but they're kind of due for an upset here so you look at that houston game where you know houston just boat raced the shit out of tulsa you know maybe usf can catch a lucky break that game maybe catch clayton tune out outside of a rhythm you know get the offense rolling a little bit more i you know i i still think four four wins is absolutely incredible and a, a successful season if they hit three wins i'm still considering it a successful season just not as much um two wins uh, so just winning one more game is when I'm going to be a little bit more concerned on things, but I'll still chalk it up to, you know, they're still in the learning period of things, but you know, the, the, the goals are still ahead of them. Yeah. You know, ultimately the dominoes can fall into their favor and they can still somehow win the conference this year. The, the plays are right. So, yep. you know, who knows what's going to happen the rest of the year. I, I want to, uh, so we, we did the predictions um, before the season, the daily stampede group that we do every single year. I've got them pulled up here. Uh, I'll start. I'll start with Stieg first because he's uh, uh, he's you know who he is. These are only these are only the record predictions, right? Not the other ones, right? <laughs> yeah, these are. <laughs> I mean, we can go back if we want. Uh, these are just uh, these are just the record predictions. Stieg oh, six and right. six, I'm... six and six, bowl eligibility, and most importantly, progress and momentum going into twenty twenty two. So, and quite frankly, this is Stieg before uh, we knew that Tulane was maybe ass. We that uh, Central Florida is going through some some stuff. Uh, Tulsa obviously not great. Uh, so, I mean, Stieg's not out of like his prediction could still come true, depending on how the the last seven games go. <laughs> this All is right? the furthest I've ever made it statistically. On one of my predictions coming true, like we we eclipsed the Memphis game at this point, <laughs> right? And then this is this this was mine. A respectable four and eight, FAMU, Temple, ECU, and one of uh, BYU. Whoops, but the uh, one and then one of BYU, Tulsa, Houston, Tulane. You can talk me into five wins, but that's my limit. This year sets USF up for even more progress in twenty twenty two. Seth, Seth was pragmatic as ever. Give me the over three and a half wins. Anything over four wins this year is gravy. And it all sets up for that. This, these next four games are crucial. I, I think we're going to see some wins here. Um, I, even if they go two and two in these next four games, perfect. Uh, if they, if they lose out, then we'll have some we'll have some issues and we'll 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 definitely race uh, some. It'll be concerning yeah. unless there's you know something catastrophic happening that explains it. But if they you know these guys get healthy and then they still keep losing, then we'll have questions, and that is perfectly fine. We this is not a a black and white situation, right? There are going to, there are still going to be factors that we need to consider as we get further down the road. But right now. We are still in line for the four wins that we all thought they would get. To Alex's point and to answer his question, um, and I'm going to speak for for everyone in the world, absolutely would I take a win over Cincinnati and shock the world there. Uh, that would pay so many dividends to this team and this experience that they would get. Um, and also, I would talk the most amount of shit ever. I would not shut up about that. I would. I would never let anyone even close to that tri-state tri area ever forget that USF upset Cincinnati and ruined their chances to the college football playoff. And USF is still statistically the closest the group of five school has ever been to a national championship. There'll be, a, I would imagine by the time that game rolls around, they're at least a top five team. Yeah, because that's what I mean. By that point, they're, I think, at least. Wait, when do the, right when do the, when do the CFP rankings start coming out? I think like in October, typically, right? Mm -hmm. A couple, probably three weeks from now, maybe. Because Iowa's in front of them, and Iowa's gonna lose. May lose to Penn State this weekend, maybe. But two weeks, two weeks for the uh, the CFP. Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. So yeah, so... I think you, if you can get a top five win, that would I think calm a lot of the issues. I, the 
I see the the counterpoint is that uh, since he's being undefeated, they make the playoff. Maybe that helps the group of five. But since he's leaving the conference, so maybe it's kind of a middle finger on the way out. I mean, I don't know if, if I I don't know if I'd be as as, as I mean, obviously it's a great win, but there's a, a piece of me that's uh, that would be. Kind of sad. I I like Cincinnati. Their fans are a little weird. I get it. Um, but uh, you know, outside of Tony Pike, I, I can stand the, the rest of the rest of the Bearcats. Oh, and the the running back. Who's the stupid ass running back? Oh, someone in the comments. There was a uh, Tony Pike, Zach Caleros, uh, and then there was a stupid running back that always just gave USF the business. Oh my it, god! It wasn't Isaiah Peed? Was it? Oh, I think it was. Oh, that fucker. I hope he's doing well, but I got him, Ray Graham, Dion Lewis, uh, Shady McCoy, all of them can go to hell. All of them. Every single running back from that Big East era, except for Steve Slayton and Noel Devine because they couldn't do shit against USF, but the rest of them can go straight to hell. I couldn't stand them. I remember, I remember watching a Shady McCoy game uh, against uh, uh, USF in like his jump cuts. Like he was jumping like two and a half gaps over and just bursting through the hole. I'm like, yeah, we don't have we don't have anyone who can do that or stop that, and he, he did not get stopped. Yeah, and, and if Cincinnati has trouble with USF this year, I don't think them getting into the playoff would do a great uh, for the G5's case in the future. <clears throat> Because Georgia Alabama would beat them by seventy five points in the first round, so yeah, that's that's generous. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I watched I watched Georgia play Arkansas. Oh boy, yeah, they they're different. They're pretty. Yeah. Different. Hey, I mean, Cincinnati could beat the 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 rest of the people on their schedule, you know, fifty to nothing, and there's a good chance Alabama or Georgia could put could hang seventy on them. Just oh, yeah. I, there, Cincinnati's tough. I, I, I was, um, I picked them to beat Notre Dame, but they kind of beat them pretty emphatically. And that was a little surprise. I think it was two and a half was the line. Um, they're tough, and they played Georgia tough last year, and that uh, probably should have won the game. So, but a Georgia team looks a little different this year. So, I yeah. Governor Kirby's got got the team humming. That's for sure. Yeah. Let's uh but again, um I, I just wanted to, to kind of debrief from a very uh hectic and, and insane first five weeks of the season. Um it's great that college football's back with some normalcy. Um it, it's been a lot of fun watching these games, a lot of upsets, um FBS versus FBS, uh, FCS versus FBS, a lot of upsets. Um just I, I praise the, the good lord. Uh, that USF was not a casualty of the FCS uh, upset because uh, brother, we would have so we would be having a real different conversation right now. Um, yeah. But there's still there's still hope. There's still everything is in front of USF. Still, I'm not talking about a bowl game. Everything in front of them, but progress, brick by brick, and they can get the four wins pretty pretty easily if they if they just play if they keep improving and, and playing the way they have been and improving upon that there's easily four there's easily three other wins on the rest of the schedule and what three and four in the final seven games i'll take that every day of the week with the way this program has been over the last two and a half years and now you're building you're bu- you you're building towards something and now you can make make that you know black friday game count for something a, a little bit more than just pride uh, you, you're playing for you're playing playing for a program building. There's what's left, and there's what's left, guys. Everything of is ahead of us. Everything. I think I I don't think Temple's as good as their record. I really don't. I, I wouldn't trust Rod Carey uh, with my, my with my child. Um. So. Yeah. I think let's let's revisit this conversation in a month and see where we're at. I would guess we're probably in a little bit of a different place. I Hopefully. would I would Hopefully. I would think so. I would hope so. Um, God, I hope so. <laughs> I, I 
I think we're going to have a di- much different conversation the the week of that Cincinnati game than we we have uh, previously and where we're at now. And uh, I think the fan base is going to find out that, yeah, this team is actually getting better and it's setting up for a really good 2022. And that's where that's where we got to to leave it. That's where the hope lies. Um, and we'll we'll pick it up from there. Uh Dallas, I agree, man. I am so annoyed that we dropped the game uh, against ECU. Uh, their fans are literally the worst. Um, so I agree with you on that one. Uh, but for that, we will have the film room uh, tomorrow night. Uh, but for for Seth, Stieg, and Nathan, this has been the Balloonati Podcast, proudly presented by Irish Thirty One. Check out all all of their locations at after that Black Friday game. Go hang out at the Irish Thirty One in Oviedo. Celebrate. Enjoy it. Go to the Seminole one uh, uh, this, uh, you know, in, in a few weeks. Go to the, the Wesley Chapel one. Go to the West Chase, the West Shore. Uh, go to the Hyde Park one. Go check them out. Tell them the Daily Stampede sent you. Have fun. Be safe. Enjoy the bye week. I'm going to do a bunch of Halloween stuff with the kids going up to uh, uh, someplace off of 52 that has like a spooky train for the kids and like a haunted uh, trail. Um, there we've, we've got a lot of stuff, uh, planned uh, for the weekend to, to really, uh, get you, get you pumped up for, for Halloween on, on a Sunday. So, uh, it'll be fun. Enjoy the bye week Uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow as we break down the SMU, uh, game film and, and uh, get, get, uh, prepped for the, you know, the, the real season starting the, 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 the season that can really uh, change the trajectory of this program. Uh, as, as Frankie says, relax, be safe, have a good night. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.